The problem we have sometimes is not recognizing the fact that we indeed are the light of the world and we'll never fully know how much light we have shown upon a world. There's no way for us to fully know or to understand that as Christianity has been around for about 2,000 years and God's Word long, longer than that. But we never know that the influence that you give, the light that you shine, how broad it may go and the, the impact that it may have. The world wants to, to live in darkness, but they also want to live in light. And it's hard for them to really see where that light comes from. And our task is to let the light bind, uh, shine brightly before them so that they may look and search for who God is and what makes that possible. We're also to be the salt of the earth. And we look at that a little bit this evening. I was thinking along the line, I says, and again, oftentimes people do not realize the power that the salt has and the influence that it has. Many in the world, figuratively speaking, are like I am in the physical realm. I have no sense of taste. And so food is food. It's just texture. And, but I... I've known what salt can do, so I tend to salt my food. Pat looked at me and said, why do you salt your food if you can't taste it? I said, well, I know what it used to taste like, and so I still like it. I'm saying the salt does its job whether the world is fully aware of it or not. And ours is to continue to be the salt so that the world may, again, have an opportunity to one day have a better understanding of who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave very early in his ministry. And it's an interesting passage of Scripture to read, particularly, again, reminding ourselves this is early in the ministry of Jesus, and what he has to say very early has a tremendous impact on his ministry and then on the ministry of his disciples, and then on the ministry of Christians as time unfolds. But in chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, we have what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who do this, and so forth. And we catch a glimpse of the character of those who would be citizens in the kingdom. Here's the type of life that you ought to be living. Talks about the blessedness that these citizens will receive and they're described there for us. And then it comes down to, okay, as citizens of the kingdom of God, here's what follows along the way. The, the final beatitude, how, however, Jesus implies there's an attitude that the world would often display towards the citizens of the kingdom. You're going to be persecuted for my name's sake. And we live in a world that we know about persecution. We can read about it in the scriptures. We read about it in history. We can read about the severity of that persecution but we live in a land where we have had religious freedom 
from the time that the early settlers came across that Atlantic Ocean. Religious freedom as they had deemed it. And it's hard for us then to recognize that severity that may be there for the persecution of standing for what is right. Because we live in a land that is religiously divided, that is religiously wrong, that is religiously doomed in light of what the Word of God teaches. And they do not recognize it, nor do they really want to see the light that would show them a different way. And ours is again a reminder of the purpose of the light is to be a light into the world. Again, I've illustrated it before, is we have lights in this building. The purpose of those lights is not to bring attention to themselves. The purpose of the lights is to dispel the darkness. In other words, that's what we are to do in the world. We may be noted. Sometimes you live in a place where you have a a light out on the street that, because of its location, shines right in your bedroom window. And you may not like that. Again, the tension is not drawn to itself, or it ought not to be. Ours is to dispel the darkness. We do that by the life that we live, by the words that we speak, the attitudes that we express, and the actions that we take. And ours is to strive to do it in such a way that it will bring honor and glory to the kingdom of God. You are the salt of the earth. Salt has several characteristics. Most of the time we see it as white, as pink salt, and a few other different colors out there. But it enhances the flavor, and it preserves. And to regard that in our lives, that that's what we're here for in this particular case, as it's being described, we are to give flavor to the world. And again, as I mentioned about my not having a sense of taste, along with that, I don't have a sense of smell either. Makes it interesting. But I don't mind when the skunks come around because I can't smell them. Uh, but I was simply saying, simply because I do not taste the flavor that the salt gives does not mean that the salt is not giving flavor. The world may not know, and we'll look at some examples in a moment. The world may not know the influence that you are having in the world. At times they will recognize it, yes. And it's always nice when they can recognize because of who you are. It's always interesting to me that they will respect me for being a minister of God. And they will watch their language when I'm around them. And they will not regard God whom I serve. Why do they not respect God? And watch their language when, God, when, we're, when I'm not around. I've been around individuals who at times would, uh, we would play around the golf and some guy would call in his, his uh, wife and say, Honey, you'll never believe what happened today. I played a round of golf without cussing. 
And I've had some who have delighted themselves and that they've watched the language as we played the round of golf and thought they were doing very well. And I wanted to tell them, you haven't even come close. You've taken out a few words out of your vocabulary, but you have a whole slew of them in there that need to be dispelled as well. But I'm saying there's an influence that is there. It's not always clearly seen or distinguished or noted in the life that we live. But we're still to be the salt, even though they may not recognize an influence that we're having upon them. And that's a challenge challenge at times. And again, because you are the light, a a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And I've said before that there is no way that you can tell how many people in the darkness are looking at the light. The times at camp, and we'd be out at, uh, up at the lake at night for the devotional, and every once in a while when I, I'd talk, I'd, I'd catch a glimpse of a plane flying overhead, and I would use that. I'd say, you see the plane up there? You can see the lights that it has. But do you think they can see you down here? You can see light a great distance away. Those who've advertised those flashlights says you can see them from two nautical miles away. They can, you can see a, a light a great distance away. And that may be what is needed for some individuals. But you will never know the full impact that your light has in the world. Yours is to keep doing, following the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Living the light and light of God's Word, as He directs us throughout the New Testament, using the examples from the Old Testament as patterns for us. But we are to preserve the world, or those in the world, and may not fully understand that or know that at the time. We hence the flavor. But if the salt loses its flavor, See, that's its purpose, one of its purposes. It's to be changing the world. And you do that by living your life, by being the one you ought to be, by letting the Christ shine through you to be the example that the world needs to, hear, needs to see and to have a part of and to be preserved. Through that metaphor of the salt, Jesus depicts the relationship of citizens of the kingdom to the world, making the world more platable or bearable to God. You ever thought about that? The world is lost in darkness. The world, for the most part, has no concept of who God is or what he desires or what he has done or what he will do. And your being in the world as Christians, being the influence to the world makes it more bearable, if you will, for God. 
How long is he going to let this world stand? No man knows. Why has he let it stand this long? That's human terms, is it not? Time has no relevance to God at all. Without beginning of days and without end of days, it's eternal, so there's no relevance for time for him. But why has he allowed the world to continue to stand? You read Matthew, under Matthew. You've read Genesis 6. You can read Matthew 6 too, but you've read Genesis 6. You looked at Genesis 18 and 19. You read the history of Israel. And all of their departures and all of their wickedness, and God has still allowed the world to stand. And why? How many times has he let it stand because of a righteous one? Remember Abraham's conversation with God concerning Sodom? It's always been an interesting one. And I've often thought, and I've posed the question before, if, if the ten righteous souls were found in the city of Sodom, God would have spared those cities. The question is, would those cities, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, would those cities ever have known why they were spared? Would they have ever believed why they were spared? Ten righteous souls. If you read the description of Lot and his family, you'll find ten souls mentioned. Don't know for sure, but I have a belief that Lot or Abraham was praying for his family. Ten righteous souls. How did they look at Lot? Did they not see him as being different? Who are you to come in? A stranger, and are you trying to judge us and you're trying to dictate to us what they believed? I've heard the statement down through the years of God does not punish America, that he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. That's man's thinking. My response is the same as it was for Abraham, if you will. How many righteous souls would it take for God to spare America? And if that number was found, or if it is found, would America ever believe that they were spared from destruction because of righteous souls. No. No, what I said is, I don't know how many righteous souls that it would take. I just pray that I would be one of them and that you would be one of them. The righteous souls pray. You're the salt. You give flavor to the world. And you may, in, in, a, in essence, give it time in which to learn more about God. Look at, excuse me, look at God's dealing with Jerusalem in Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. So Jeremiah, run through the city. Look here and there. See if you can find one righteous soul. If you can find one righteous soul, what? 
I will spare the city. Again, with Jerusalem, I believe that one righteous soul have kept Jerusalem from being destroyed. They didn't think it was going to be destroyed. They had the temple of God there in the city, so God is not going to destroy the temple where his name has dwelt. They were caught up in their wickedness, and they'd lost their life. But if one light has been found, God would have spared the cities. It's a little bit of a flip over, if you will, but you think about Jonah and Nineveh. Jonah's a little reluctant, well, very reluctant, to do God's bidding. But when he does God's bidding, one man, letting the light shine, doing God's will that God had asked him to do, ours is to live our lives for God and let our light shine before the world. You're not asked to be a Jonah. But because one man obeyed God, souls were saved. Given an opportunity. And again, what is the value of one soul? Do you know what you can do? Do you know the impact that you can have by being salt? By being salt in the world. Salt is pure, but if it's mixed with impurities, it loses its Ability to be what it's supposed to be. That's why he began that parable or the uh, Beatitudes. Blessed are those who have these characteristics in them, for they will be the sons of God. They will be the ones that will see heaven. And because they are doing the things that God wants them to do, then they can be the salt of the earth and have its saving influence on individuals. We need to keep ourselves from the impurities of our lives. Paul, as he wrote to the Ephesians in the fifth chapter, Ephesians is hiding from me between Galatians and Philippians, and the pages are sticking together. But in Ephesians 5, Verse 3 and following. Well, let's start in verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God 
as dear, as dear children. And understand that as you read that. And you, and you do, I know. Be an imitator of God as dear children. Children imitate the Father. The imitation comes up short. But the imitation is because of who God is. And that's how God sees us as his children. But because we want to be imitators of God as dear children, we're to walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Look at that love again. When did Christ love us? From before time. Love as Christ has loved us. He came to be the light, to suffer the trials, the tribulations, to suffer the rejection, be crucified, but then to be raised again that third day. Look at the impact that he's had on the world. As beloved children, walk in love, as he's loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it's fitting for saints. And again, it's interesting that he's telling Christians, do not engage in these activities. They're not fitting as a child of God. And he would think that a Christian would know that these activities are not fitting as a child of God. The world has its influence as well. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Keep yourself from sin. Again, as salt in the world, you're going to influence the world that they may not even recognize at the time that they're being influenced by you. We look for the opportunities to glorify him. We look for the opportunities to share with him, share the gospel with them about Christ, who he is. Would be willing to defend what we believe in. But we live such a life that is different and distinct from the world. To the world, right now I say you are strange people. Well, you are anyway, but you're strange people. And when you show up once a night, you're going to be even stranger people. And you become even stranger when you tell people why you do that. It's not because it's commanded. It's not because you're going to be docked if you do not. It's because you love God. 
and you want to be in his house, praising with his saints, praising God, and learning from his word, and encouraging one another along the way. We often talk about the midweek service being the time to recharge our batteries. We've been fighting Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Need to get ready for a Thursday and Friday. It can be a tough battle. It's called a battle, is it not? It's called a war. But you need to be who God wants you to be. To be that salt. To do the things that would be pleasing in the eyes of God. If we lose our flavor, we're going to be tossed out. You read the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. We refer to the passages often in Sidon, verses 21 through 23. Again, you think about who Jesus is talking to. You think about what is being said and what is being done or has been done. And it ought to be very sobering for us. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, powerful statement. It's always interesting to me again that those in the world have chosen to take that or take an expression that is false and try to apply to them. All, of, all you have to say is, Lord, Lord, and you have eternal salvation that can never be lost. Just let those words cross your lip, lips. And Jesus clearly says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. Funny they chose that particular expression of Jesus. And they will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not done all of these? And they name various works in your name. Read those works. Go back and look at them. In Matthew 7. Have we not prophesied in your name? Prophesied. Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? You think about what they had been doing. The ability to prophesy... The ability to do miracles and many wondrous things. And he will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's not the deeds per se, it is the heart. And it is the mind. It is letting your light shine. 
Because at some time in your light, in your life, his light has shined upon you. And so out of love, you desire to be a reflector of that light to others. But it's done by the, the deeds that you do, the words that you say, the influence that you have. It's done by the words you do not say and the deeds that you do not do. You live that different life. You march to the, the, the beat of a different drummer. All because of the one whom they call Jesus. And a long desire just to hear him say, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. Are you the salt? Is it being reflected in the lives, your life, and in the lives of those around you? Are you the salt of the earth? Are you who Jesus wants you to be? He is described as a wonderful Savior. And that's exactly what he is. He is a Savior for all who will come to him. Have we listened to the call? Have we responded to the message? Have we let the world begin to influence to a degree that we've lost our perspective and need to have it renewed? Whatever need that you have, if we could assist you, we could help you. Indeed, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.